0: Hey everyone, welcome to TWIG49. Today, we'll be covering five articles today. Uh, The first is Subscriptions, the New Weapon in the Game Monetization Arsenal by Lloyd Melnick from the Business of Social Games and Casino. The second is Rockstar Games is the latest company to put out its own PC game launcher from Game Informer. The third is Zynga Climbs on Best Idea in Video Games Nod from Stevens. Uh, fourth is Google says Play Pass subscription service is coming soon by Android Police. And we will end with NBC Universal will shut down its game publishing business by VentureBeat. Hey guys, we got a full house today. So, one, Mishka is back. Welcome back, Mishka.
1: Thank you. I think it's not polite to say hello to me first when we have an awesome guest over here. <laughs>
0: And speaking of our awesome guest, uh, today we do have a special guest with us. For those of you listening to our previous Twig episode, Twig 48, you know we focused on an extremely insightful and well-written article by Lloyd Melnick, and we have Lloyd Melnick on uh, for today, who will hopefully be able to provide a little bit more insight on his last article, which we'll be covering on subscriptions.
2: And let's hope he lives up to the hype. (laughs)
3: <laughs> definitely don't count on it <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and so Lloyd, maybe you could uh, we could start by having you introduce yourself a little bit and tell our audience a bit more about your background
3: Thanks. First, really honored to be here. Actually, uh, you know, deconstructor of fun is the gold standard for my blog. That's always what I've been kind of striving for. So when you invited me on, uh, yeah, I consider it a real honor. Uh, just a tiny bit about me. I've been in the game industry since 1993, so I've seen it all. It's pretty depressing, uh, but I have seen it. Uh, yeah. So for the first 17 years, I had my own company with a business partner. We eventually sold that to Playdom, which was one of the early social casino, uh, not social casino, social game companies. Uh, then Playdom was acquired by Disney, where I ran uh, international publishing for them. Uh, had an opportunity to be CEO of kind of a joint venture of a, a new startup. Uh, that didn't work out so much as many new startups in the game space don't. I uh, was lucky to end up coming back as a chief growth officer over at a company called Spooky Cool Labs, which Zynga acquired, turned into their social slots division. Uh, from Spooky Cool, I was um, recruited to run the uh, social gaming part of PokerStars. So PokerStars is the biggest real money poker company. They were moving into social gaming. They had just gotten acquired by a company called Amaya for $4 billion. And they thought all was beautiful and social. Uh, moved out to the Isle of Man of all places. Uh, was at poker Stars for four years, and recently moved on to VTW to run their casino efforts. They're a Australian social casino company, and I'm also on the board of directors of Merca, another uh, you know social casino company. So that's me in a nutshell.
0: That's great. Thanks, uh, thanks, Lloyd, and. From any of the other folks on, well, just just so everyone knows, uh, we do have a full house. Myself, I mentioned Mishka, Lloyd, and we also have Eric and Adam on. So we've got five on for today. Uh, But any other updates from anyone before we jump into the articles? Uh,
4: Yeah, I'd actually like to give an update on some of the games we've been following. um, Just because, yeah, sometimes we kind of just give our backhand feedback just as soon as these games launch. um, But I actually wanted to follow up on a couple of them. Because, yeah, Twig actually gets to gloat a little bit today. Uh, Because, like, following up with some of these key releases, it actually turns out that we don't just rant nonsense. Um, (laughs) So following up with, like, Pokemon Masters, Rush Wars, um, and Dr. Mario. So with Pokemon Masters, uh, Kenny Liu and I actually discussed it, I think, a few weeks ago. Um, And uh, I think after launching with some amazing numbers, they actually had quite a massive decline in revenue since their launch. Um, so in the beginning they were hitting about 2.6 million per day um, and now they are actually dropped to less than 100k per day um so kind of as we discussed their golden cord is pretty much gone and now they have to fix their end game so um, dna if you're listening stop focusing on your costly story content and actually fix your mode design and pacing it's kind um, you
2: know it's it's kind of sad about this game though you know like they yeah. they got it so close after failing so many times right you just Know, I don't know. I was rooting for them, but I I, they may be able to get people back if they start focusing on what you're suggesting, you know, more the elder game stuff and not so much the expensive story content. So we'll see.
4: Yeah, I agree. In a typical way, like Nintendo and Apple should be working together, they should be able to get the featuring, get discoverability back on, you know, pull some players back into it. Uh, it's just sad that they couldn't get it working from launch.
0: Cool. So with that, I also have one update, which is I'm going to be spending uh, the f- pretty much most of the week in Colombia for Columbia Four. conference. So if anyone else is out there, please uh, please let me know. We can we can hang out in in Bogota.
2: That right. sounds like another boondoggle. What is this, <laughs> <laughs> dude? Vishka, you're rubbing off on him, dude. Listen, taking all these boondoggles all over the world. Come on, really, I don't, Bogota. So- what kind of business is going on <laughs> in Bogota? I bet if I looked at App Annie, there's like literally like 10 million in revenue this year from Bogota or from Colombia.
0: Bogota saw I I went there a couple of years ago. It's 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 solid. It's growing too, and and they no, also bring in people from all over the world. So oh my
1: god. Oh so my so god. since we're, since we're talking about this stuff, there's a there's a what do they call? Is it? a casual connect or that pocket gamer event? You know, they do that everywhere. It's not games connect is it games connect nowadays games
2: connect yeah
0: those games connect you, so there's Connect. what used to be casual connect
1: i don't know anyways one of those is happening next week here in helsinki it's going to be a monday and there's a deconstructor of fun party on monday that i just remembered because somebody pinged me like we need to talk about this party of yours <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh so um hit me up for tickets you know anybody who's coming in here for helsinki i have a. Uh, I have, a, I, have a, I have a list. So I've added a ton of people on the list. If you don't have tickets, you know who to who to talk to. You. Anyways, that's my update. Okay,
0: so <laughs> jumping, jumping into the first article subscriptions, the new weapon in the game monetization arsenal. So in this article, Lloyd, who we have on with us, uh, argues that there have been two major monetization disruptions in our industry to date, which were number one. The try before you buy model perfected by Big Fish Games for the PC gaming market at that time. And secondly, the current free to play model, which led to major disruption and arguably the demise of companies like Atari, Acclaim, and THQ. So uh, Lloyd believes subscriptions is now the big new disruptive monetization model coming up. And um, as we know, some of the most successful companies like Amazon, Salesforce, and Netflix rely on subscriptions. Also, according to Google, global subscriptions subscription growth has increased by 70% year over year. So definitely showing a lot of good growth. And, um, as we, as you know, we have today. So Lloyd, I thought we could actually ask you a few questions about this article. And, um, you know, again, th- thanks again for agreeing to jump on the podcast with us. Great. But, um, yeah. And in terms of like, um, Uh, Maybe the first question to ask is, you made some interesting points with respect to, like, the advantages to both the companies and providers of subscriptions and also to the customers. And I I thought it'd be great if you could just, you know, in your own words, kind of provide some of your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah, so I, I think the biggest and one of the things that's driving it in other industries is... You know, the value it provides to the company and being able to have a predictable revenue stream. You know, I, I mentioned in my introduction, I've been in the game in the th- street since 1993. And the thing that's most predictable about it is how unpredictable the revenue streams are. You know, it, yeah, I've been at big companies like you know, Zynga and, you know, and Disney and then kind of tiny startups. And you, you really don't know what's going to happen month to month. A, it's hit-driven, so you don't know how your new games are going to do. But there's such volatility, even in, you know, free-to-play games. You can have a great month. You can have a not great month. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it it's really. It it really makes it difficult to plan, it makes it difficult to allocate resources, it makes it difficult to hire or maybe not difficult to hire, but then you have to let go of a lot of people. It's it's a cycle we've all seen again and again in the game space. It's actually, I think, something we're going to be talking about when we we hit on some of these other companies here. Uh, What subscriptions give you, it means you start every month with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in revenue in addition to what you're going to get from in-app purchases, what you're going to get from your ad revenue. And I think that's the huge value for game companies. That stability, that base that they can build their business off of is huge. The other benefit kind of for customers, but it also goes back to the company, is it builds a really good bond between the players and the company. So, you know, with the old model where you're you, you through, sometimes garbage, sometimes a good game in a box, sold it in Egghead at the time or Walmart or Wherever, yeah, you know, it was all about creating a, a, a compelling package, largely, and hoping someone buys it. For the customer, it was like a hit or miss experience. Uh, it's gotten, you know, better with free to play. You know, obviously, you know, you want to continue to monetize that customer, but in many ways, you want to force the customer to make a purchase even when maybe they don't want to, and you want to force a little bit more out of them. That's 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 what we do as product managers. That's what we do with monetization you have a much more i don't know if altruistic is the right word but you have a much better customer company loop in subscription because the whole thing the whole principle around the subscription is you don't want to churn it's all about keeping players from leaving so it means that every month you're giving something players enough that they want to stay in your product. Maybe that you, you know, you're know you trying to upsell them to a higher subscription tier, uh, maybe you're also trying to sell them in-app purchases because they're not mutually exclusive, but you're creating this codependency which really focuses on creating a great customer experience. and. Everywhere I've been, that's kind of been my focus on the product side, uh, even in the free-to-play model. It's, uh, it's, I think if you create a great customer experience, you're going to create a great product. Long-term, you're going to make a lot of money. That's how companies like Amazon have done so well, being really customer-focused. You can't have a subscription model these days without being customer-focused. So it's a benefit for the cu- uh, customer, kind of going back to what you asked. But I actually think it's another huge benefit for the company in terms of long-run stability and also points to why we haven't seen that long run stability with most game companies.
0: Got it. And then the other thing you you also mentioned in the article was, you know, how you should you gave some suggestions on how should you should specifically roll out subscriptions as a games company. Could you talk about some of those points as
3: well? So I think there's two different approaches you can take there. One and probably like if you really want to disrupt the industry, I'd build a product from the ground up uh, looking at the subscription model really focused on subscriptions. Uh, I think what you're going to see now as subscriptions get, yeah, and I'm not the first one to talk about it. I think you had a podcast about it a few months ago. It's been written up in Eilers. It's, you know, Google's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it, which means everyone's going to be playing with it. We're, you know, we're an industry where it has a lot of followers uh, to put it mildly. Uh, but I think if you really want to do it well, do it from the ground up. I remember the early days of Free to Play and when all the console game manufacturers, the THQs, the Acclaims, even the EAs and, and the, you know, the, the successful companies that are still around tried to do free-to-play and just tack it on to their existing games, it was a joke. You, know, it, it, you, know, you, they, you couldn't do it well. And I think if you try to tack subscriptions on, it's not going to work. So if you're trying to disrupt the business and become the next Zynga, uh, you know, then it probably dep- means... Think about it from the start, build great products that are subscription oriented. If you do wanna build a second revenue stream or a third revenue stream, if you're monetizing ads, well, in your free-to-play games, I think you do it, but you don't do it as an additional uh, in-app purchase. You really have to think it through, and the offering has to be very different. Um, you know, it, it's all about access, giving players you know, more privileges, something that is actually persistent, uh, and not a consumable. Uh, most of my experience in the last five years is social casino. So what I wouldn't do in a subscription model is just chips. You don't want to sign people up and they get 20,000 chips every month for five bucks or for 20 bucks. That's not going to work. That's just going to cannibalize your uh, in-app purchase sales. What you want to do is give them access to stuff they wouldn't normally have. It could be prestige related, you know, like you have with Battle Pass. It could be uh, new content that. Is unique that they wouldn't have access to otherwise, uh, but it's something you know persistent. It's it, no different than the airlines, where one of the big benefits of being you know platinum is you get to skip the line earlier. You know some you know, the subscription needs to be things that they wouldn't normally get with an in-app purchase. Don't compete with your in-app purchases, and I'd also say don't target your VIPs. You know, in my article, and you know, I think strongly on this, you don't want to even. I would give the subscription a VIP as a retention mechanic. If the amount of revenue you get from a VIP is not going to be substantial, uh, but use it to target you know that other 95, 97, 98% of your players who aren't monetizing. If you get 2% of those subscribing, 2% of those monetizing and in-app purchases, you're going to have a much more robust business.
0: Cool. Uh, Eric, what's your take?
3: Well, first off, you're living up to the
2: hype so far. And anybody that drops an egghead reference is old school, in my opinion, and very, very knowledgeable. Eggheads, old. You can just end with old for me. But <laughs> no. I'm going to make the obvious arguments, which I think we've made before in this in this podcast, actually. But the, you know, if subscription becomes your primary means of. Meth- monetization, you're really limiting your max spend. So ultimately your LTVs will be significantly lower. So if 1% of your audience is driving the majority of the spend, the strategy just won't work, period. So, I mean, I think you've kind of mentioned that indirectly or directly in in this case, uh, in the article. Um, And obviously the more you give away with the subscriptions, the less you'll have to sell outside the subscription. So giving away currency, as you just stated, is not very smart, um, or giving significant amounts of currency is even not Stupider, right? Stupider—that's a word, right? <laughs> um, if uh, and then again, this is this is the big question for me, and I think this is the assumption that everybody is making on subscriptions, just in general. When you talk about Google Stadia, when you talk about subscriptions in games, et cetera, it's all about the assumption is that you'll improve conversion, right? And and I don't know if that's even going to happen. Honestly, I think that is a really tough hill to climb, right? I haven't seen any evidence whatsoever, and anybody on the panel the panel, anybody on the call that can can Correct me here. Is that I don't think conversion is improving in the West. I don't think any of these methodologies that we've been using have improved general conversion in the West uh, to spenders, right? And if you think that subscription is going to do that for you, I think you're I think you're going to be very very uh, sad at the results and 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 cannibalize your uh, your big spenders likely. So my mind to your your you made the point perfectly well is that subscriptions are a tool to help. Um, retention amongst, you know, low, low, low spenders perhaps. Um, and, but it should always support your core monetization loops. Cause if you lose those, then you just can't hit the LTVs that can scale your, your product. So Adam make me look stupid. Go. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think overall, like we've, as we talked a lot on the podcast, um, I'm, I'm much more skeptical of a subscription model, especially subscription model eating and becoming say a dominant Uh, business model, not just like a a newly developed monetization mechanic. Um, Like I'm a fan of it being used within games as an additional monetization mechanic, things like the Battle Pass, Uh, big fan of things like World of Tank system, um, but not a huge fan of things like WoW's system, which I think you might be alluding to a little bit here. Uh, I, I just have doubts that it's gonna be opening up that whole new business model. So I, I guess, can you a- answer the question just more about, like, how do you see this happening? What types of games would you see benefiting from moving towards subscription that we haven't been able to actually become successful before?
3: I wouldn't say ones that haven't become successful. The two areas that I see opportunities and it's probably the two areas that I look the most at. Uh, so that I'm not saying they're the two best, uh, but it's the two I actually know, is social casino. I mm-hmm. actually think there is, yeah, that's a space. You guys talked about you know, what I was thinking about it, uh, last week, but that's a space that's been really stagnant in so many ways. And you're monetizing, few, not few and fewer, but a very small number of players that's not growing. And I see it as a way, you know, so I would disagree. I think you are going to convert some players who you wouldn't normally convert. So you're, you know, it's not, I do think it's going to have an impact on conversions. It might not be earth changing, um, but I actually do think it could be in something like poker, where you go from a rate uh, free to play model, which actually doesn't really work that well. So, I, you know, only a couple of companies have succeeded in the poker space to a no rake, invitation only, not invitation only, but subscription only type model, where you know it gives you access to ter- different tournaments, that type of thing. Uh, so I can see working in social casino. The other place is hyper casual. So not in an individual hyper casual game, I don't think you get people to monetize. But I could see a voodoo, or maybe not a voodoo, but someone who wants to be a voodoo, uh, going to a subscription model where. You, you automatically get rid of ads and all their hyper casual games. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's yeah you know, that that yeah you know, hyper casual is largely a commodity business. So that's where I think you know, you could have a lot of value to players. Um, yeah, you know, those are two th- those are the two spaces I'm looking at the most. I'm not saying that there aren't you know, you know that it wouldn't work in a match three or something. It's just not a space that I feel I can talk knowledgeably about. But I definitely yeah. see opportunities in casino and hyper casual. Yeah. And so I think
4: I, in, it, so. Go ahead. ahead.
0: Uh, Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say that I also believe that uh, subscriptions can also increase conversion. I I think the, you know, one of the things I learned from monetization expert Jeff Witt is the the other way to think about subscriptions is that actually as a double price anchor. And so if you've got you know your regular IAP and then you've got um, you know you've got your bundle sales as, as your first price anchor and then subscriptions as your second. Then you know it's it's almost a form of price discrimination to some degree, and then uh, certainly what we've seen with like Battle Pass on like Clash Royale, I, it feels anecdotally that that's really unlocked a lot of uh, new new buyers there. So mm. I yeah, I, but
2: but that but that's not a subscription as we as defined, right? Because that's an opt in, and it's not on a, on a periodic. It is,
0: it is not timeline a subscription, but you got to imagine that that's what it will become I, I think
1: yeah I, I agree uh, actually with JK so the way I approach this you know this question is I kind of kind of looked at you know what's going on now with gotchas and and we're seeing that more and more countries are restricting the use of gotchas I don't know what the future of that will be but there are a couple of countries that have already done it and we've seen a lot of uh, legislation focusing on that. And we also see the limitation that it, that is being set by the gotcha mechanics. Like, in order to do a proper gotcha, you have to have a lot of content. You have to understand how how do you you know deal with the duplicate system, and you have to understand what kind of pacing you have to put in. You know how many opens, how many drops, and so forth. So, uh, what JK was saying, I, I, I kind of agree. Like, if we sort of deconstruct the uh, the battle pass system, which is you know it's what ninety day subscription pretty much. If you if you take a, one season. Uh, you know it's a set reward which can be unlocked by completing the challenges, and monetization comes in the in the form of free versus the premium tracks where the free players can get fewer rewards than the premium and that's like what, exactly what you were talking about in the sense of the the players who are uh, engaging with the subscription service are getting some kind of a uh better reward or or more interesting gameplay through it, and that also creates a very clear conversion effort. Where you're going through the you know the free pass and you're at the same time seeing what the what the what you would be getting as a subscription member, and that in my opinion really drives the conversion but what I like about the battle pass most is is that um it's it's time limited, so you buy in for a season and and if you don't complete the season pass, you actually don't get the uh the reward, so it really encourages you to engage more after you become a subscriber, but it also encourages you to monetize more after you become a subscriber, because in all these battle pass systems, you can actually buy the XP that allows you to get the rewards that you would have gotten by just engaging with the game. So the spend depth and the potential of the battle pass system shouldn't be, you know, seen as limited to just the monthly purchase price or the season purchase price. So you know, kind of in the end, the the way I'm personally seeing this is that we will be seeing more subscription subscription elements in games, and it's following this sort of a hybrid monetization model, which I've been talking about. It's essentially what YouTube is doing, in the sense you have the uh, the ads, the in-app purchases, as well as the subscription model. So it's kind of all things together. Uh, but it does set certain limitations on on the games business, in the sense that new games that would rely heavily on these battle passes or whatever systems it's, it's really hard to make it because you need very high player base. So that's, that's kind of like,
2: let me, I'm going to agree and disagree on what you just said. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to agree that uh, (laughs) what I was wrong earlier, when I said we have not seen any evidence of increases in conversion, because the one evidence we have seen is something like um, uh, Fortnite, right? I I, I, I 100% believe that we saw an insane level of conversion on that relative to other games. But what I, what I'm, What I will disagree with you a hundred percent is that gotcha is like the most the easiest thing to keep keep uh content flowing like these battle pass things the amount of content required in order to maintain this kind of like um this cadence is insane right it's no one is capable of doing this like even (laughs) someone like apex the game you know that it took them like months to get this thing figured out and the amount of people that are killing themselves over at epic is obviously been documented you know on the uh, on the internet as well so so, and it's the same thing as Hearthstone, right? Hearthstone, mm-hmm. it's all about content, right? And so, and I'm, that's not a subscription by any stretch, but it, it has the same mechanic as these battle passes in which you have to invest insane amounts of money in, inter, uh, once, the, once a new season happens or a new uh, set of cards are, are unlocked. So, yeah, I think, I think this kind of system you're talking about is actually more expensive than any type of gotcha system or core loops that are monetized uh, on, you know, on their own based upon... Uh, progression, etc. So, um, Adam, I'd like to get your thoughts because uh, <coughs> again, I
4: defer to you always. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, plus one to your point there, because actually, if you look at Destiny uh, and the new battle pass that they just launched, they're trying to fix the issue that Fortnite has where every single every month they're launching, you know, 100 tiers of of cosmetics content plus free tiers. Um, and then vaulting them, right? Like as soon as that battle pass is done, all that content just evaporates, which is an insane content cadence that I would never recommend on anybody. Um, But Destiny is at least putting it back into loot boxes, into their loot box economy so that um, it still has, it adds value to their economy overall over time. Um, But I did want to ask one more question, um, specifically going back to your access question, Lloyd, um, which is like really trying to decide what goes into a subscription. Um, just because like from my experience, you know, like playing things like Dota, Dota has a mode in there as well as cosmetics, as well as say like progression boosting things within their subscription as well as, um, what is it, um, uh, stats. So it helps you kind of pick which characters to play, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but from the article, it says like subscri- su- successful subscriptions um, are about access. So in a social casino game, it could be about access to say new slots or unique table games. In games like Archero, it could be access to special levels or powers. Um, but doesn't this kind of go back towards that, like try before you buy type model where you're actually locking content behind paywalls, um, or in this case, subscriptions that will actually, and and this system would actually always be weaker than just giving players everlasting engagement and actually monetizing on that engagement, like specifically, like as an example, as a game dev, would you lock an entire new mode or content behind a subscription or rather allow full access to that mode content, but through the subscription, sell characters or sell progression boosting currency or sell exclusive cosmetics.
3: See, I almost look at it the other way because in my experience, it's been hard to sell uh, you know, there's a couple. Of, it's almost the exceptions to rule. Those cosmetics or anything kind of outside the core game loop. So you know, again, I apologize, but most of my experience is social casino or real money casino at Stars. And you know, what you're selling and what I continue to sell in, in that purchase is just continuous gameplay. Uh, what you can sell by putting it behind that curtain is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, things like power ups, different slots and stuff. You know, valid point is, do you want it available to all? And one of the reasons I do want to, I would give the subscriptions also and planning to to VIPs. I don't want to give them any blocker. I don't see it as a try before you buy model, because that was more, you're kind of like trying to hook someone and then get them to you know keep playing it. Here it's more you're giving a whole bunch of features. Uh, you know you could use try before you buy for subscriptions, um, but I think maybe maybe that model would have worked better. Maybe you know maybe Big Fish would still be something other than a social casino if they had uh, looked at it as a subscription model and not then gone on with a, a discrete purchase. So they almost had the worst of both worlds. You know they weren't have, creating a recurring revenue stream. They were only creating a you know 9.95 or 19.95 sale or I forgot what pricing they ended up using. Uh, and they weren't able to sell more to their their high value customers. I think you know. I think the value here, and maybe you know, and, but maybe they did show that there is some model to you know hooking people by by letting them play content and then you know getting them to play more. Um, or not play more, but play continuously, but as long as you keep paying for it. I think that's the big difference between the try before you buy, in my mind, you know, from my big fish days, and we were actually a a relatively big developer for those guys, uh, and yeah, uh, and, and... you know, the subscription model. You you have to create content that people will purchase every month. That kind of goes back to, that's what works for Netflix. I mean, and it also goes to a conversation you guys were just having about content. You know, look how much Netflix is spending to create content. It is a content treadmill, even worse than in-app purchases and got you and everything. Yeah, you know, you, you, to, to succeed in subscription, you're gonna have to you know, spend a lot and create a ton of content, but you are always providing players with something every month. And you know, monetizing it in return. You know, again, on uh, you know, going back to that big fish thing, if they were getting ten dollars, you know, for every time someone played a mansion game, you know, every month, you know, that would have been a lot different uh, business than what they ended up having because they had to have a discrete, they had to sell a new game instead. You know, two players again and again and again, as opposed to having that recurring revenue. So they actually might have saved big fish. <laughs>
4: Oh, and also to your point about voodoo um, in Hypercasual, there definitely is subscriptions. Uh, so to, you're definitely right in terms of okay. Hypercasual already has subscriptions <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for skipping ads, removing all ads, as well as like boosters to currencies and this type of thing. Uh, what's interesting cool. is that they they even pop this up like within the first second of the game, right? Like as okay. soon as you start the game, boom, there's a pop up saying please subscribe. Yeah, I can't yeah, and, wait and to the day when we stop talking about Hypercasual. <laughs> we should we should move on to the
2: the Rockstar Games thing. Yeah, I
4: Oh, sorry, <laughs> my phone was going off. Okay, so Rockstar Games. Uh, so Rockstar Games is the latest company to put its own put out its own PC game launcher. Um, so if you hadn't noticed, Rockstar actually launched their own PC game launcher this week, uh, and actually tried to incentivize people to download it and use it. Uh, They gave away a free copy of GTA San Andreas, if you remember that game. Um, It seems to be a a play to move away from Steam on PC. Um, Just, of course, take full revenue from each release that they're going after. Um, Key releases, of course, coming up would be Red Dead um, for PC coming up. Um, Note that this is just Rockstar for now. Um, This is nothing from 2K on the platform so far, Um, so it wouldn't include things like Borderlands, nothing like NBA 2K, Um, but it's just another launcher for now, and of course, uh, it's competing with a lot of the other launchers right now on PC, Uh, so that'd be Steam, of course, the incumbent Epic who's actively trying to pull exclusives from Steam, um, especially kind of service-based games. Discord, who's trying to pull players from Steam by using uh, the dominant like TeamSpeak service that they have. And Uplay, which Ubisoft has always kind of forced through the launch of every single one of their games on PC. So even if you bought it on Steam, you'd actually have to launch it through Uplay in order to play it. And Origin, which was EA's attempt at this, where of course all the EA titles go to, um, but then of course they've been trying to add other games to it and try to become more of a destination for games, um, however unsuccessfully. And lastly, of course, battle.net uh, for Blizzard and Activision games. Um, so within this crowded ecosystem, how will actually Rockstar try to work their play, work their way into actually PC players' mindshare? Um, right now we're looking at like a fully independent launcher on its own, but of course this won't do the trick. So it's, it's likely that they're either going to move all their titles to the launcher in the near future. Um, so things like uh, Red Dead 2, um, similar, to Al- similar to Origin, um, but since they don't really need Steam, that probably won't be a major issue. Um, but uh, it's likely that they're just going to be moving all of their exclusive titles over to the platform. But I'll pass this off to Eric for his take.
2: Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I just think that this is a real simple thing. Anyway, I'm going to keep it simple, is that I think it's just a means of regaining the 20% they give up to Steam every time they release a game. And also, I think it allows them to control their user base directly, which might even be more important to them. Um, You know, they see the success of Uplay, Battle.net, Epic, Origin, etc. And they just want to create their own portal for their content, I suppose. But um, I, I, I honestly don't think that this is an attempt like EA to build like kind of a destination pre- for, for PC gaming or really competing with Steam in, in a sense that I don't think that's what they want to do. Um, I just think, you know, enough, enough is already, dude. How many freaking launchers am I going to have on my, <laughs> my desktop? This is insane. Like I, I my whole desktop is full of freaking launchers, you know, Battle.net, Uplay, Origin, Steam, Epic. I mean, certainly not the most ideal experience. And that was kind of part of the, the allure of uh, Steam was that they were going to consolidate all this mess in terms of distribution on, on a great digital platform and i think you know fundamentally they did for a long time but anyway i'm not i'm not a hater on steam at all i mean i think they provided a really good service for a long period of time but perhaps you know they didn't evolve with the changing market you know where a lot of these publishers are tr- attempting to go direct to the customer with uh all this you know digital transactions you know the obfuscation of of, of retail is no longer there and so they're going direct and so they want to basically Get access to the information about their customers, and perhaps—and I'm not really quite sure about this. I know I've heard stories over the years, but Steam was not very friendly with some of the publishers in terms of providing information. Um, perhaps, and then, uh, and they never had a, never revisited the model, uh, or to, at least to my understanding, anyway. So, so, but then again, I don't even know if Steam was actually the best partner ever. With this, wouldn't have been inevitable, right? You know, they they publishers really feel they need to establish more of a direct relationship with customers. I mean, EA has been talking about this for a decade, right? Um, and as these digital purchases become the norm, it's, it's you know, the, the retail sale and, and we get rid of retail, you know, they want to control their own destiny with their customers. So it makes total sense to them. Um, you know, maybe Valve could build a better tool, but I'm not really too sure. Uh, uh, now, on the flip side, I don't know if this is the best idea for discovery and innovation, right? And, and if I could extrapolate and, and make a prediction here, I don't think this is a very good a good thing for smaller publishers and indies, right? And certainly not good news for Steam. So basically what this will do will reinforce the big, right? So that if you really want the best games, you go to Rockstar, you go to Origin, you go to Uplay, you go to Epic, right? And so, so indies that are out there trying to get their name established and and Steam was their last vestige of hope of getting their, their game um, um, uh, seen and heard, if that's no longer there, they really have no avenues for growth necessarily because they can't possibly spend the effort of building getting their games out to all these services. But that's like more speculation. But I think um, indies are having it rough now. I don't think things are kind of looking better for them as we move forward. Um, and we'll get to Apple Arcade in a minute and Google Arcade. But um, anyway, what do you think, JK? Yeah. Does that make sense? I, or am I just yeah. rambling?
0: No, no, I I think you make a lot of good good points, and I, I definitely agree. I, it does feel that some of these uh larger publishers are are just now realizing that packaged software is in its final stages, and you know, thank God for that. Uh but um I think I've mentioned this quote from Roger McNamee like a million times on this podcast, but you know. And the quote is essentially that between the content and the audience, everything in between is a choice. And so, I, I definitely think that they have a shot, especially the bigger titles. And uh, for me personally, to your point about a million launchers, I I don't think that part matters so much, at least for me personally, because most players, in my opinion, are probably only going to be playing like you know two to four games. And so, for them, they may only have you know two to five launch- launchers that matter for them. And so, having you know, for me, having like five icons on a desktop is better than having like, you know, 10 boxes on my bookshelf. But, um, uh, the only other thing that, that the only other comment I have is just to say that, you know, I really do believe that valve just really mismanaged steam. They, they, in my opinion, have been asleep at the wheel and, and they continue to give away the market here. You know, they had a really strong opportunity to be the, the, you know, a really strong leader. And, um, unfortunately I, I think that that's, uh, that's no longer the case.
3: Lloyd, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of a two minds here. One, I, I totally agree about Valve. I think there was a lot of arrogance there. Uh, you know, having tried to work with them as some previous companies and stuff, even you know companies that at the time were the same size, just you know, the arrogance in in, in their approach. You know, in terms of being. Published or develop are unfriendly uh, was re- it made it really difficult. So I can see how it's driven a lot of people away and looking for other channels. And the other thing is, you know, you've seen, you know, even pre- uh, pre-Steam, you know, companies have always looked to disintermediate that that layer, uh, in the Facebook days, you know, Zynga tried Zynga.com. Um, uh, you know, people have tried to self publish on Android. Um, yeah, they love an alternative to the app store on Apple. Uh, you, you know, you even have, yeah. People looking at the you know, Huawei store or, or whatever various channels there are to find different app stores, and it's really really hard. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, so, take uh, Rockstar might be able to do it because they have strong enough products. But I think, as Eric said earlier, it's only going to be the biggest. And maybe on the positive side, maybe that'll help the indies because if you take those products off of Steam, maybe it, it, it leaves a little bit more air. Uh, to find a great indie game or two.
2: Yeah, dude, that's, you know, wishful thinking because what's going to happen is that no one's going to go to Steam anymore, right? Like, why would you ever go to Steam, you know, on a regular basis if there's no games that are AAA that are selling millions and millions of units, you know? But yeah, I I hear you. They'll get more mindshare on a platform that's no longer used, right? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, next, we'll be moving on. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Okay, our boy... Mr. Jeff Cohen wrote a note on Zynga mm-hmm. that got a lot of attention out there, and uh, I don't want to steal any thunder, but you know he he did move the stock. Like the stock was up like two percent on his note. It got covers in Barron's and a bunch of other places, and basically uh, Jeff was saying that Zynga is his best idea, and what that means in video in in uh, what are you, investment banking speak is that based upon his coverage uni- universe, all the companies he covers, Zynga <coughs> is the best positioned. To do well, uh, and the last one was EA. Uh, I think in his case, so his thesis fundamentally is they are they have scaled user acquisition, so they have a lot of money to spend on acqu- uh, user acquisition. They have a robust advertising network and infrastructure. They have a ma- huge amount of capital, 1.4 billion in cash for acquisition. They have a very diversified portfolio across different uh, 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 genres, and they are approach to M&A is the city-state model, which I've said a gazillion times, um, is, is, seems to be uh, achieving I- extremely good results. Um, and then he also went on to talk about possible acquisitions, which we spoke about, Peak, Fox Next, and Moon Active. <laughs> And all of this should sound pretty freaking familiar because we've been saying the same thing for the last like <laughs> six months. So, I, you know, and his city state reference that is all too familiar because I think he got that from me, but I'm not hundred percent sure. We'll see. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I do think he has this right. I think the story is, is right. And I think uh, Lloyd is going to disagree with me because he's an ex Zynga person and all those people are super bitter, but um, but you know, and, and, and he may be right on Zynga, but he's still dead freaking wrong on glue, right? So anyway, <laughs> moving on. So the thing that I will say that he kind of missed in this thing, which I don't really quite understand why, is that he, he and he did publish this before Merge Magic came out, but still. Um, what I would add to the piece is that uh, Merge Magic and Puzzle Combat are sequels to these really successful games and they're both in soft launch. So they're relatively imminent, right? And these two games are far more material than next year than Farmville 3 will be, right? And so not mentioning those as part of their really strong pipeline was a little bit odd uh, miss there in my opinion. But my my thinking here is that they will be able to layer on these sequels with the original games with little cannibalization. And this is obviously the real bold thesis here. And so um, I'm not really quite sure why he'd barely mentioned these in the in the, in the the piece, but you know, I will chat with him after this uh, podcast and get his reaction to, uh, to, to what we say. But um, Jay, Kay, what do you think? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, so for me, it was just surprising just how influential Jeff is. I, I didn't realize. <laughs> I thought he was just another dude. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this, this, uh, his, his research now got coverage from not only uh, you know The Street, Barron, CNBC, Motley Fool, a bunch of other publications, so... Uh, yeah. You know, congrats to him. You know, I have got a lot of res- you know respect for him and he's getting a lot of respect from the industry. So that's great. And uh, to your point, it'll be good to get him back on the podcast to talk with him about this. And, you know, I really can't disagree in terms of, you know, when we look at the gaming name, Zynga does appear to be doing the best. Um, and to your point about Merge Magic, I, you know, the word on the street is that the KPIs on that game are, are pretty strong. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that does well. And, I've actually started playing Farmville three in, in soft and um, it does seem like a smaller, more incremental improvement on Haiti, but I can see a case where it does pretty well. So, you know, we'll see how that does. And, and probably the last point I have to make is, um, you know, the the point i mean i didn't read his research note but the point on user acquisition you know you know i i won't, I won't mention who we talked to eric but you know we did have a private conversation with uh, with somebody that talked about because <laughs> ua but it does sound like um ua is is a little bit more independent and separate uh from uh from what we're hearing but uh right
2: well that but i think that's a good thing and i'm not a ua expert but if you if you've actually done ua for a particular type of product right you're far mm-hmm. more queued up to do another UA project for the same exact product with a different skin, right? right. Yeah. There's no reason to change the guard at that point. So I'm not too worried about that, but that guy was pretty funny about that.
3: Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we should, we should get off that. Anyway, Lloyd, what's your take? <laughs> so I'm not entirely disagreeing with the thesis. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of the logic there, and, but I'm still not convinced how much value Zynga adds after the acquisition. I think they're paying full retail, in all their deals, and they always have, and sometimes above retail, because when you have a billion dollars, uh, people know it when you walk in the door. And I think that, yeah, and, and that's part of the equation. So they've bought some good companies. I think under Gilbo, they've gotten a lot savvier at it. You don't see as many draw something these days. Uh, and they haven't ruined the companies, again, draw something. Uh, yeah, you're not seeing repeats of that. Um, but where I think, where I still think zing is fundamentally weak is creating new products. So, you know, and, and I haven't seen, you know, Farmville three, so maybe that's gonna be the exception. But I can't think of the last homegrown product, maybe Wizard of Oz. Um, which no, is no, no, no. theoretically one. Exactly. No. you know, I can't see the uh, that that's lived up to expectations. No, you know, I mean it, it, yeah, but
2: we've imagine, talked about this so many exactly. times. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, I mean, we've sorry. talked about this no, so many yeah, we talked about this so many times. Mm-hmm. Like their capability of building their own games is probably Almost zero, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, yeah. right? But the Farmville guys, like, that was an acquisition too. Like, you can't really say that, mm. that that's homegrown yeah, either, right? And so- It's
1: Aqua hire yeah, I mean- and- yeah, so so I I was at Zynga and I was building a new product. So so um um but let's you know I think Lloyd was on point here because if you look at Zynga's portfolio and this is with natural motion, you look at for the past two years, you could see that you know revenue is quite stable. You can actually see that there's a slight decrease over the couple two years. The installs have halved during the two years and they haven't launched anything meaningful, anything meaningful to their portfolio in two years. That's Zynga's portfolio. But then when you add Graham and you add small giant, it's a whole different picture. The revenues are up by 100% in two years. The installs are down only by 40, which just basically speaks of just incredible monetization. Merge Dragons brings brings actually 14% of all the all the Zynga's revenues and Puzzles and Empires brings a third of all the revenues. And even CSR Racing too, that's that's about like 13%. So I think the real question I don't know the real question, but but my question is like, you know, is Zynga profitable? Because these acquisitions are really, really expensive. And then the second part is Eric is all gung-ho about merge magic and puzzle combat. But what is that strategy? Is it a growth strategy or is it market saturation strategy, just like King used to do? where well, you saturate the, game, the, the category with clones so that nobody else can make a clone of the games that you're making. And the real question is, will those games scale, or will they just help Zynga to keep their position where they are? you know, and just to just to kind of ask, like do you guys even know you we were talking about Farmville Three, so do you know which of these simulation games is the biggest at the moment? Is it Hayday, Township, Klondike, or Sims? I think it's township Township is two times larger today than heyday, and that's it's making like 20 million a month or something like that so but is that the same kind of game as heyday though i don't really know that game all that well it's yeah, yeah, it's it it's like oh. heyday that took steroids because it has like town building and it has puzzle three mechanics like playrix oh. added everything but the kitchen sink into that and if you look at the numbers and you look at their latest installs i was just happening to look at the market today you can see that they are going through incre like crazy install spike that is following by a revenue spike because they've actually added also these matching to mansion type ads to it. So Farmville 3, all I'm trying to say is Farmville 3 is entering pretty difficult category over there. Clerics is not playing around and Supercell is trying, doing everything to keep its position there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you. I don't really, I'm not too bold up on Farmville 3. The only reason I'm bold up on Farmville 3 is that it actually will be a reasonable success relative to the disasters that they've had over the last couple of years, yeah. including that puzzle match three game, which was terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, I that the, your question is totally the right question. Merge is Merge Magic and Puzzle Combat going to grow the category for them, or is it going to basically, you know, buffer, stay, stabilize the category for them? Yeah. In my opinion is it's going to just they're going to basically just stack on top of each other, and if that happens then the question about profitability comes up is that mm-hmm. at that scale, they'll be significantly more profitable. Now, they are profitable right now. I think they're trading at like 18% EBIT margins or something like that. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but the the real the real bull case for this is that if they improve that to like more market percentages, like 25%, 26 28%, right? If they get to there, then we're talking yeah. about a different type of company. And so that's the Super Bowl thesis. And that only works if they can scale these games and keep the other revenue Going and
1: with less MUA. So uh, I, I argue that they can't scale those games. I mean, it's not it's just because of like what you'd have to like, that's just off the cuff, but you have to look at the traffic that is coming from. It's puzzle, like puzzle combat is exactly the same game as puzzles and empires. So, so you have to look at what type of market does it attract. To me, it looks like it's, you know, same audience. Like you go from knights to guys with machine guns. Yeah, but you could make that same argument about machine zones games, right? Yeah, but they
2: cannibalize each other. They didn't. Not at all. You look at the data. They didn't cannibalize
1: it one bit. Modern Combat and and the um and Okay, the... so that might be true, but the uh, DAU was totally different. Like you're talking about hundreds of thousands of DAU, but when no. you talk about positive hours. Oh, vampires...
2: well, see that see I think that's where people are mis- misunderstanding these two games is that these guys generate game this is a super hardcore games. Like they look casual by their by their by their look, but uh-huh. in terms of the the monetization mechanics is a very similar strategy, right? So they're capturing mean- only a small percentage, small percentage of their audience is spending the majority of their spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But empires and puzzles, the, the, the DAU of that game has to be massively larger no. than them. Nope. What? No, no. All right. That's Can somebody jump in? <laughs> like, I think it's more about and- DAC here, right? Not about DAU,
4: right? Yeah. And I think but- Eric is right, where if they're stacking their DAC, their DAC, mm-hmm. then you've got stacking revenue.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm yeah. talking about DAU. I'm just saying, like, when I look at the installs for that game, it seems to be going really wide. And I'm looking at the uh, okay you, uh, the targeting right. and you, everything
2: again. You can make that same. Sorry, maybe I'm 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 misstating the the what, mm-hmm. the data point I'm trying. The DAC, the the actual the customers that are spending is 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 very similar to this thing that with with Machine Zone games. And you know, Machine Zone games installed a gazillion times, right? Because they're crazy UA stuff, right? But it's a very yeah, yeah. similar mechanic between these two games. And so my point is that. People that like that theme more, people that have churned out that want to start again and 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 kind of know how the mechanics work and can get up to speed really fast. Like that's why I think these games will stack on top of each other. Now, the risk longer term is that this is it, right? I don't know if they can stack a third game, right? I think they can stack these two games, but the third game is probably gonna be much more challenging to do, but I don't know yeah. for sure. But that I don't matter because it's gonna take like, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have these games going on for two or three years. Anyway, moving on. For sake of
1: brevity yeah (laughs) i just have to say i work at the game studio i've never seen anybody doing this past like four or five years coming along and showing their phone and saying like man i'm just playing this machine's own game it's so awesome versus empires and puzzles is being played everywhere So, so you know all right. Well,
0: we'll have a follow-up podcast to, to, to debate this.
2: Well, yeah. So so <laughs> far, the metrics look really reasonably good. It, it seems like yeah. they're slow rolling in U.S. in terms of UA, but the metrics in Canada were amazing for uh, uh, Graham's game. So Yeah. Yeah. Smart.
0: Okay. Moving on. So the next article is Google Play Pass is coming soon by Android Police. And so Uh, That publication reported both on a tweet from Google Play that announced the launch of a service called Google Play Pass, but also leaked screenshots from a tester of that service uh, in July. So from the leaked screenshots, we know the service will include uh, hundreds of premium games and apps and will be priced at $4.99 a month. In one of the other screenshots that they showed uh, had an info page that reads, explore a curated catalog spanning puzzle games to premium music apps and everything in between. From action hits to puzzles and fitness trackers with Google Play Pass, you unlock access to hundreds of premium apps and games without ads, download fees, or in-app purchases. And finally, another screenshot showed uh, Stardew Valley and Marvel Pinball as some of the included games. So uh, what's our take on this? Eric
2: Oh, crying <laughs> out loud. Are we kidding me? Like give me a break, dude. I, 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 this makes even more less sense than Apple Arcade, right? <laughs> Any successful game on this service will be copied and sideloaded immediately, right? There is no premium market on Android, right? There's no way of protecting this content. It's insane, right? You know, I mean has anything changed on this point or is it am I crazy, right? I mean anyway, I, I, I this is killing me right now. Right. Um, (sighs) But this is the same stupid, stupid idea as Apple Arcade. And, and, and I'm not going to go, I don't want to rehash this whole thing, but I I will say this is that um, no, actually I will talk about this. Both these things are most, you know, insane. These are just like, Ooh, yeah, almost where Mm -hmm. it's just content that people don't want, like fundamentally. Right. So on the positive side for Apple Arcade in particular, if you, if you actually try to cancel your um, your trial, you can't do it, right? So you'll have to cancel as you get closer to launch because what to your month end because what what will happen is you don't get access to the games that you um, that you have ac- actually downloaded and try to play on the service, right? So this is a bit diabolical, right? Because I'm I, and I'm sure there's some technical issue for this. I don't know what that is, but this is exactly what I was talking about at Twig. 29, like the only way that this Apple Arcade can be successful is you create a system that forces you to renewal and, and that you that you don't know about, right? Um, and and the one argument I want to make, because I don't want to rehash the same stuff I've been talking about for months on this stuff, but <laughs> these subscription services devalue content full stop, right? If you were a developer taking money from Apple and Google in this way, I think you're hurting the industry as a whole to some degree, because... I have made the same argument in the the past about these big Steam sales. When you build a game for 5 to $20 million and you sell it for $4.99 on Steam, that sends a dangerous, dangerous expectation of value from the consumer perspective. And from these models that you're seeing for both uh, Google and Apple, when you're paying $60 for access to 100 games, you're basically saying that your game is worth 60 cents, right? And so when you take... Million two million from Google and Apple and put your game on that service that values it at 60 cents You're ultimately devaluing content that you are creating in my opinion And I know pe- many people will disagree and that you scale this thing up and then you'll get revenue and and you think but I think it's taking advantage of small struggling developers in this current environment and and This is I think this is gonna be a fundamental problem with indies going forward, right? And as an example, you look at a game like Ocean Horn 2, which is an amazing game, by mm-hmm. the way, absolutely mm-hmm. breathtaking, beautiful game. I'm a, a saddened that anyone could believe that this game is worth 60 cents. It's just not right. And this is the big difference between TV movies on Netflix. Movies and TVs had made their money, right? They made their money in theater. They made their money on DVD, TV syndication, et cetera. This, this is the secondary or tertiary market for them, you know, in general. And and they want to just extract more value um, from that content on Netflix, right? And then, as it relates to Netflix making movies, they're building, spending billions and billions of dollars to build up their network, right? And and their own value, not necessarily the value of the content itself. And I, I just think it's just a different market altogether. And I and I don't, I honestly don't think it's a good thing for some of these developers to be taking kind of this money. I don't think Apple and Google really have. Uh, the developer's best interest at heart, um, longer term. They're just trying to build up their network and try to build up their, sell their you know, uh, phones and, and promote their uh, operating system. And I, I'm, I, I think this is just not good for the industry as a whole, but I'm sure Lloyd will, and you guys will
3: contradict me, but go for it. Well, I don't disagree, especially about the first thing you said. I don't think there's a customer for these services. So regardless of, which is actually why I don't think it'll have a big impact on the industry, because I don't think it's going to shift a lot of people. Um, And I think at the end of the day, most people can get a lot of really good content for free with free to play and and with various different models, advertising supported, that they're not going to pay for a subscription. They'll go out and buy the one or two things that they really want. But these products in general are probably not going to be as good as what you can get out there in the free to play market. So why are you going to pay a monthly fee? And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge here because it's not commoditized, but you, know, you have people investing millions or tens of millions into these free-to-play games because they can monetize that one or 2%, but that one or 2% is actually supporting it for the other 98%. And they're get, most, of, most of these games, you can get a really good experience. Uh, again, I don't see why then you would pay a subscription fee when there is so much, literally thousands of uh, new products being launched every month uh, that you don't have to pay a subscription fee for.
2: Yeah, sorry. One other point I wanted to make before I move on with my nonsense is that. Um, so the one thing argument people are making is that this is a great model for kids, right? And and you know, and parents, you know, don't deal with the free to play model. They play a subscription. They get access to all this content. And I was just thinking about my own situation, but with my ten and twelve year old, um, like, what are they going to do? They're going to post up in their in their kids in their friend's basement as they're playing Fortnite and post up with like a 20 year old, you know, remake of Frogger from Konami. I mean, come on, give me a break, dude. The content that's there is not compelling enough to really build on and to, to compel anybody to get off their Fortnite, you know, Fortnite game. So
4: anyway, moving on. Yeah. I was actually really surprised by that with the Apple arcade offering that it wasn't Mm -hmm. more family focused um, like I, I enjoy playing a lot of indie games and there was a ton of indie games that I would know, like guys like Capybara, et cetera. But where was the family focus titles? It doesn't feel like they're really aiming for that demo.
1: Yeah, I think it was no, because, just, it's ahead. just whatever they can get, because uh, think about it. You have to come up with a hundred games for that service. It's pretty tough. So a lot of these games are probably already in development, like Oceanhorn 2. And then this Apple deal comes along and you can actually de-risk what you're doing by by getting it with apple so that kind of works but again it's just we've talked about this so many times and i mean eric has gone off to this like his pulse goes up every time he he hears about arcade i love it (laughs) but the thing is it's getting stupider and stupider dude it's not getting smarter like i mean this man gets triggered by the word arcade it's like (laughs) like, but i mean i i kind of disagree on one thing that you said you know i'm not disagreeing on anything when it comes to how impossible it is to run it. And, and you know, the whole Apple's position on, on almost like forcing this, this indie game narrative upon everybody. Like these are the real games. Don't be playing all these gotcha games and all these free to play games. But one thing that you're wrong, I think is that you said Apple is almost like against developers here. And I think honestly, they are doing something that they feel is for the best of the games industry. And the editors that are working there, they, they love games and they have these, all these fun memories and they're thinking about like, let's make a service where, where we bring all these, these together. And it doesn't matter what the people are doing now because they actually don't want to play these free-to-play games. They want to play these real games. So let's offer it to them. That's how I kind of feel that they're doing. So they have good intentions in mind. It's just the market has changed quite drastically in 20 years.
3: All
2: right. All right. I'll capitulate on that point. Sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't say that, but they have some kind of devious motive.
1: No, I think they have very, they I'm have just saying kind that of no. motives.
2: Yeah. What I, what I was trying to say, cause I think I just got a little bit heated is that. This, this Yeah. trigger This This <laughs> model will ultimately do a disservice to these Indies, not help them because when all yeah. said and done, they've gotten their one to 2 million, which is fine. But when they're done with this, what do they have? Nothing. Right. And so they, you know, it's just, it's a lifeline that, that may not put them in the right direction direction should be trying to figure out free to play and, and games that work on, on, on that device. Right. So that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that they're trying to, you know, screw these guys, these developers over. I just think that ultimately it will, you know,
1: so. yeah, the, the business has changed. Like they, they still live in this sort of a world where you're a little indie developer and you make a really cool game, like Monument Value, and that's a huge success. And, and I get it, but that's just not the market today. And and you can't force that market of the past to be here. It's like selling horses when everybody is on cars. Yeah, exactly. And they've been trying to do that since the beginning.
2: Right. So anyway, yeah. let's move on because I think- But um, I
1: think it's cool. I've subscribed and I play those games and they're nice, but I'm a gamer. So it's totally different. I, I know I've subscribed too, but
2: I'm trying to cancel, but I can't because it won't allow me to. <laughs> what the hell is that about?
4: Let's check in next week. Let's see who's still playing Apple Gate. Okay. Let's yeah. see. Yeah, let's see, yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. All right, geezers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so JK, are we on the final piece? We are. Take it away. Okay. So J.K. is not going to talk of anything about this because it's it's for only disgruntled exing employees. This one, uh, as, as Eric put it. So uh, this was an article by Dean Takahashi, and it was by NBC. It was about there's actually two articles. So NBC Universal will shut down its game publishing business, and there was a sort of an, an, an adjacent article, which is kind of transcript of the last GameSpeed. Uh, it's called Hollywood and Games 4.0: How the Love. Hate relationship has evolved over time, so as we all know, by this time, NBC Universal had decided to shut down its game publishing business a little more than two and a half years after it expanded it. So the Hollywood company will stay in games by licensing its entertainment properties to external developers and publishers, but <laughs> gone are the days where it would try to drive most of the key game decision itself. The consequence of the consequence of this decision is that it, an undisclosed number of people on the game publisher team will leave the company. And uh, as we know, I think they reported that 50 people worked at NBC Universal's uh, publishing unit. So the article states that the reason for the shutdown isn't the uh, uh, attributable to a business failure of the games, but rather because Universal has decided not to publish games anymore in favor of other priorities. In other words, get revenue from games to, uh, though with lower costs and less risk and less potential revenue. Now, this was what the article stated, but there was also an official statement from Universal which said that given the realities of the increasingly competitive nature of the mobile game landscape, Universal is shifting its investment and approach in games to opportunities that don't require mobile self-publishing. This will all universal deepen their licensing and partnership opportunities across all gaming platforms. As a result of the shift, the team has undergone restructuring and so forth and so forth. So even though the article states that this is not nothing related to business, the official statement actually kind of states that it is. So when I read these two articles, there was this narrative that, that Dean was bringing forward, and that is that the Hollywood uh, has gone through these sort of uh, stages with games business. Where the first stage that Dean, and not not only Dean but he had his um, his uh, folks on on the on this games beat panel panel, they talk about the first stage where the studios didn't really even care about games, and I think the games were as big of a business as handkerchiefs or handkerchiefs or something like that, where they just didn't even look what the games were doing. The second stage was where Hollywood wanted games to upsell their products. So it was seen as an extension to sell movie tickets and the games had to come out with the same date as the movie releases. The studios were forced to adhere to specific deadlines and put features and characters in their games that weren't necessarily great for the gameplay. So that's the kind of like, you know, the second stage. And the third stage, what everybody was really happy about in this panel was was Hollywood's approach where they make great games first and then the leverage the popularity and awareness of the lot franchises. Uh, and uh they talked a lot about Marvel, where where Hollywood and, and Marvel specifically seen as a great partner. They have a fully dedicated team of people that come from games world, and these the studios succeed only if the games succeed. So it was kind of like partnership between the games and and um and the studio, and the Hollywood studios. And at the moment, uh it kind of you know seems like the Hollywood in terms of games going to the other direction, and Disney has been showing this direction for a while now where it's low risk. And kind of low reward, and you have these launch windows, you have multiple launches per IP per year. And Disney, uh, Disney is a good example here where Glue has been suffering with its Sorcerer's Arena because there's actually another turn based RPG game uh, by Per Blue, uh, Disney Battle Lines, I believe it's called. So, <sighs> I want to kind of summarize this that that the the cycle that I feel is going on with with Hollywood and games and we've talked about this before is you know they get this nut from licensing IPs to games they learn that somebody somebody and somebody that is another a game developer is making way more money from the IP that they use so they get a little bit greedy they hire a lot of execs they build a massive organization they create mediocre medium level games at an extremely high burn rate then they shut down those operations then they focus again on licensing and then the circle sta- starts all over again. So I, ha- I wrote this all down, and then I was continuing to listen to, to read through the article. And and um, and this article actually states that Chris Heatherly, who used to head, um, I believe he was at Disney before, and then he was at NBC. And he's still there now and and doing this gig. So his ambition was to capture more of the value of games by self-publishing the titles and taking a more direct role in creative development. Creative development, marketing, and distribution of games based on NBC Universal Intellectual Properties, which included yada yada yada. And then at, at Universal Heatherly teamed up with veteran executives, James Molinets and team and Tim Fitzrandolph and others. And he built a team of about 50 people and was adding more. And then 30 months later, it came a decision to shut down the publishing. It is apparently based on the notion that the games launched so far have not been big enough hits and the larger company has other priorities. So the circle keeps on, keeps on. Uh, going around and i just wanted your guys take on it like is hollywood again tired of games or or is this just a normal evolution circle that that goes on um
2: you know i i feel like we're covering the same thing over and over again these days (laughs) like this is like the same theme as it's been for a long time right you know and the first my first thought on this is like another one bites the dust right you know so we have and you know the one thing that's bugging me about this article in general and i correct me if i'm wrong here didn't nbc mm-hmm. universal sponsor takahashi's games beat this year right
1: i think i think a lot of companies sponsor games yeah, Beat. But, i think pretty much everybody in the in the area so i don't think that has any any impact
2: i don't know this seems more like a fluff piece to explain away that their failure in in an in interactive again so like at the end of the day, like these big media companies whether it's Disney, Fox, Lucas, Hasbro, etc., mm. have all come and failed to your point in in the games business over and over and over again. And it's this like you're right, the total cycle of let's try to get into this business, it makes sense strategically. We don't understand this business, let's get out of this business. Let's start mm. licensing again. Let's repeat this whole process
1: all over again, but but right? you but it's it's the funniest thing is that it follows the exact not only that highlight but actually tactically the same things. Let's hire the best execs who yeah. haven't done free to play before, or something like that. And then they, you know, let's hire the best creative minds. Let's focus on the brand. Let's not do what all the other mobile gaming companies do. Yeah, uh, but but it's well, just All right, So let's focus on the positive, right? Yes. Periodically,
2: every five to ten years, when they decide that this is a strategic priority, they are spending a crap ton of money on execs in the video game space to head up these things. So they're providing lots of wealth for our friends and colleagues in this business. That is, that's that my is positive nature. spin yeah. on this. This is all I got, and this is all you, I got. I'm sick oh, of hearing about Disney failing, Lucas failing, Warner Brothers failing. Oh.
4: Well, oh, come on! Doing oh, whoa, right? whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> but it's
1: like it's like it's like Groundhog Day every but, time. You know? But it's not that they're even failing; like they they have moderate success. I think they're failing against these crazy expectations that are being put on them. Well, it's
2: it's again; it's just a priority of funds, right? Are you going to promote and and spend money on developing a new interactive experience that may or may not be successful, or are you going to spend the money to make the next you know? Disney hit, you know, you Frozen okay. 2, so, right? So I, so so I like want, I want no,
1: there's no comparison. I want Adam's take, but I want a different take. I want Adam's take in terms of like Adam, you're now the super high-paid executive. We're going on on round 32 at <laughs> Disney. <laughs> and actually we've noticed that all these goddamn gaming companies are making gazillion dollars of the IPs that we own and we only get our minimum guarantees, only our 15, 20, 40% of what, but we want 100%. Adam Run this business yeah, as a representative <laughs> of a Warner Brothers. Yeah, number one, I'm say? definitely
4: not a high paid executive. Whatsoever.
1: No, but we're, it's a role game. And so
4: so you're, you're cutting real close here. Like <laughs> no, I don't. Want I can't. To say I, can't I can't be speaking about this, right? I know so. it's my opinion.
2: I'm just saying it's my opinion that that, that when you look at it, you look at it, what's going on at Fox next, right? Which is the same kind of idea is that it's just not aligned with their core strategy, and so that's mm-hmm. why these keep these companies continue to fail because. The executives don't see the value in this business, right? They see it strategically, but they don't see it uh, operationally is what I'll say. So anyway, yeah, let,
0: let me jump in with one note. So I, you know, I'm supposed to recuse myself from, from this article, but I will say not related to this article. Well, related, but not related. There are a lot of rumblings at Disney starting up again. <laughs> so,
2: just, no yes yes no <laughs> finally finally i was all right oh i got wh- really bummed that i'm gonna dust sure. off my resume right i'm gonna yeah. dust off my resume because i want some of that freaking disney money <laughs> come Who on wants
1: to live in la and make some money <laughs> oh my lord make it stop make it stop no it's um but but yeah yeah It's i, I think it's really hard i i, I just I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of promises they're they're expecting because you know shutting down NBC only after two and a half years. That might sound long time, but it is actually quite short time to prove that that you can make a massive hit from an organization that starts literally from nothing. You have to hire all the people, then you're only launching your first games, and you know people are like, "Yeah, this is not actually what we're here to do," and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really
2: my, yeah. A few of my friends really dodged a bullet with NBC um, because they were all talking about high level positions there and man i i some of the money that they were talking about was absolutely insane like i don't know what the hell goes down down in la i don't know anything about the hollywood business all i know is about video games you know but like the the money that they're throwing around down there was insane but the the restrictions on what you could do was the one thing that was like really disturbing but anyway moving on i think we've done enough damage on this one (laughs) yeah Anyway, it's great to have you on, Lloyd. I really enjoyed your article. Keep it going. Um, and hopefully, we'll get you back on when you uh, write another compelling ar- article.
1: Um, Thanks again.
3: That's every week. Yeah. Every
1: I mean, week. There's going to be a link in the description of this podcast to Lloyd's amazing blog. I mean, it's super in-depth. Not a lot of pictures, just a lot of really detailed, amazing stuff. You've never seen me try to draw. You're
2: lucky. <laughs> and I think you you definitely have street credit, my my, my book that you uh, had the egghead reference. So, you know, you're forever in my good graces.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. And I'd love to be on whenever you want me. (laughs) So. Awesome. Thank you. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Have a good week.
2: Bye. Bye.